Welcome to Financial Planning Explained, and I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, Founder and Owner of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. I'm joined here with my guest, Kyle Ryan, uh, one of my associates, also a CFP, as well as a Chartered Financial Consultant. Thanks again for joining me. Yep. Um, this is a continuation of the episode where we're talking about life insurance. Uh, life insurance is one of the components of financial planning, and uh, a very important component. It's part of the risk management facet and the life insurance. What we talked about in the prior episode was the different types of insurance, term versus permanent. Uh, you know, the different types of term. You've got group term, you've got... Um, private term. Yeah, the private, you know, whether it be annual renewable, 10-year, 15, 20, 30-year, and then the advantages and disadvantages, and now we're talking about the permanent life insurance. The yep. permanent life insurance frequently called whole life, and like I said, whole life is like the Kleenex, it's a brand of <laughs> tissue, You're not really a brand, it's a type. We're gonna talk about the different types of insurance, but where we're at right now is we're gonna pick up right where we left off the last time and talking about how permanent insurance works. Okay, so where we left off, we talked that we had a 33-year-old for a $100,000 life insurance policy, they're spending $1,000 a year for their premiums. In the beginning of the policy, the cost of insurance is really low, therefore the excess is going into the cash value. Cash value each year is earning interest. It's earning interest plus getting additional monies being plowed in in the form of my $1,000 premiums. Then there comes a point within the policy that the cost of insurance is more than my $1,000 worth of premiums, but thank goodness for the cash value because the cash value is spitting out interest. But then you get to a point where the cost of insurance exceeds the $1,000 premium that you're putting in and the amount of interest that you're earning on your money, at which point the cash value has a tendency, well, has a tendency, will go down. Yep. Now, these policies, when issued, sometimes are issued in the form of a guarantee that no matter what I do, as long as I pay my $1,000 a year, I'm covered. Yep. even if the cash value runs to zero. And these are the things that the insurance companies figure out. But that's how these policies work. Now, at any time along the way, some people intentionally design these policies whereby they go in there and use the cash value as a plan for giving themselves money. Not a fan of it, but there are people that do it. More likely, people look at the cash value inside their insurance policy and say, hey, you know, here's a place where I can go after money. Okay, fine, because they saved it. I like when you say, you know, people look at it, whole life um, insurance as an investment opportunity, but you always say it's like investing with, in a bucket with a hole in it. Right, <laughs> and that's actually a very good point, you know, okay? And, and, you know, people compare the Roth IRA to the life insurance policy. The life insurance policy has tax deferral advantages, but has the cost of insurance. Yeah. Okay, so the two are very different, but if you're talking about a life insurance policy, as an investment, as a general rule, I don't think that they're the greatest investments, but we're gonna talk more about that in a little bit, okay? So now let's move on and talk about when you design your 
permanent insurance policy. You can have what's called a level death benefit or an increasing death benefit, okay? Well, the level death benefit also comes with a couple other names, option A or option one I've seen before, okay, or level A or, or whatever, okay? And what happens there is as the cash value is increasing, you still have the same level of insurance. Take me to the next slide, please. This depicts, this slide depicts the difference between the two uh, different types of level versus increasing death benefit. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. All right, well, I'll talk about it anyway until they put the slide up. So again, the level, using the example that we were just previously using, we're putting $1,000 a year in and the cash value is slowly increasing, but the death benefit remained at 100,000. Whereas in the second sample that I'm showing, the second chart is I may start off with a $100,000 death benefit but if all of a sudden I build a $10,000 cash value, that means what happens is my death benefit is 110. And if my cash value increases to $30,000, my death benefit is 130. So why would I do one versus the other? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. If I was doing the increasing benefit, then yes, my life insurance benefit increases with time. However, what's happening is, take a look at the level. In the level one, if th 10 years into it, I have a $30,000 uh, death benefit, I'm sorry, a $30,000 cash value, but my death benefit is 100, then think about it. I can grab my 30,000, so what am I actually paying for with insurance? I'm paying for $70,000 worth of insurance. And if you think about the cost of insurance as being one of the components that go into draining my cash value every month, then the cost of insurance sort of goes down because I'm buying less insurance. Yep. Now, sometimes you can't do a level premium because they have what's called a modified endowment contract. Okay, Modified endowment contract basically references a tax rule that within a life insurance policy, if I put money into the policy and the cash value increases, let's say I use the example, I have a $30,000 cash value, but my premiums that I've put in were 20,000. The way the tax works on that is if I wanted to grab money out of the policy, I can grab it much like a Roth IRA in that they call it FIFO, first in, first out. So if my cost basis is 20 grand, I can grab the 20 grand. No harm, no foul on the 10 grand. But if I took the entire $30,000 out, I'm subject to tax on the 10 grand. Now, the way a modified endowment contract works is if the cash value is too high relative to the insurance amount, it violates the rules for insurance, hence makes it a modified endowment contract, which means that if I take money out of the policy, it is no longer getting the tax treatment 
of first in, first out. It's getting the tax treatment of last in, first out, which means I'm subject to having to pay taxes on any money that I pull out of the policy, even if I'm not taking the entire cash value out. So that's why with policy design, if you're trying to maximize the cash value inside the policy, you want the amount of insurance to be at its minimum. Yep. But there are rules that say, that the IRS has rules that say, in order for it to behave like an insurance policy and give you the tax deferral treatment of an insurance policy, then it must meet certain criteria. And a modified endowment contract means you got way too much cash value in there. Do you still get a tax-free death benefit? Yes. Yes, you do. And, and so that's also that's a great question. So that's one of the reasons why people will put this in here, because they feel it's an investment that has a tax-free growth, which is the truth. So in that case, where I had a $30,000 cash value, my cost basis is 20. If I decided to pull that money out, I have to pay tax on 10 grand. But if I die, my beneficiaries get the entire 100,000, no tax on any of the money. Yep. Okay, so that's a very good point. Thanks for bringing that up. Mm -hmm. So again, level A or level premium versus, in I'm sorry, death benefit versus increasing death benefit really comes into play for when you're designing your insurance. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to the next one. What are we talking about here? Ah, the types of permanent insurance. Okay. Well, again, we talked about whole life. That's the Kleenex versus the tissue. Okay. <laughs> you got whole life. You have universal life. You have survivorship universal life. And you have guaranteed universal life. Well, let's start with Universal life, what is defined by universal life is that the insurance company is giving you the ability to have flexible premiums, yep. okay? So then you have a survivorship universal life, which means that it's a joint policy, typically done for husband and wife, okay? Which means it does not pay out the insurance until the death of the second person. Yep. Okay. Why would you do something like that? If you want to give it to your kids, estate planning, legacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Not to mention, okay, survivorship universal life also takes two lives into play. Yes. Okay. Which, by the way, interesting statistic is, uh, and I don't know where I read this or I've learned it, but the statistic was produced that said, if you have an, a person who's age 65, their life expectancy might be age 85, okay? But if you have a married couple, there's actually a 50% chance that one of them lives to 90. So what this does is by having two people on the insurance policy, what it does is it increases the longevity that one of the two is you know, forget the statistics, but, but what it's doing is just using that as an example. It increases the likelihood that someone's going to live longer. It's yeah. not one life, it's two lives, which also takes away accidental death and things along that nature. Does that so, lower the cost then? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Because why? It's less likely 
for two people to die than one person to die. So if you're using this for estate planning, which is basically providing a death benefit at the time of death, then what it does is it pays, you don't know who's gonna die, husband or wife, who's gonna die first, we don't know. But we have the ability to create an insurance policy that pays upon the second death. And as an estate planning tool, sometimes people like to leave it because they just want to leave money for their children, nothing wrong with that, yeah. okay? Because permanent life insurance compared to term, permanent life insurance is not if you die, during that period, it's for when you die, yep. okay? And so estate planning may be providing liquidity to children to either pay the estate tax or the inheritance tax. It's a closely held business, uh, you know, there's a, there's real estate, a lot of different There's a lot of different reasons why, you know, someone may inherit a, you know, $10 million estate, Yeah. okay? Well, immediately in Pennsylvania, if it's lineal, it's four and a half percent. That's not a okay? small amount it's of money. It's not a small amount of money. It's 450 grand. And if a lot of times, you're right. I mean, farms, mm -hmm. okay, oh, which definitely. is also real estate, yep. uh, closely held businesses, if the business is being passed down, you can't just decide to sell it. Yeah. Okay. But you still have a $450,000 tax burden. Yep. Right? So you have a set amount of time that you have to pay. That is correct. Nine months. Yep. Okay. The money's due in nine months or else you're subject to taxes, penalties, all kinds of stuff. We don't even want to have that. <laughs> so uh, we'll pick up this in at the end of the break. We're going to take a few moments. Uh, please stay tuned, and we'll be back with you in just a few moments. Thank you. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Menninger, founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary no-obligation consultation. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner. And I got one of my associates uh, here with me, Kyle Ryan. Um, also certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. Um, we are continuing to discuss life insurance, okay? And trying to provide an education overall on all the different types of life insurance. And so where we left off is talking about the permanent insurance. Uh, in the previous episode, and this is part two, in the previous episode, and even touched upon it in the beginning of this episode, we talked about term insurance, now we're getting into the permanent insurance. So um, again, the four types, basic types are the whole life, universal life, uh, survivorship, universal life, and the uh, guaranteed universal life, okay? And this is a slide for a little bit later. So 
the guaranteed universal life is just like it says. And we left off last, before the break, we were talking about the survivorship. The survivorship pays upon the second death, okay? But guaranteed universal life, okay, as opposed to the regular universal life, this is the one that I, from a financial planning perspective, prefer. Mm -hmm. Because if you're dealing with estate planning and legacy planning, what you don't want is a life insurance policy to die, no pun intended. But basically, if a life insurance policy runs out of money, runs out of cash value, then there's risk of that life insurance policy uh, defaulting. Okay, and if it defaults, then guess what? You have no life insurance, all right? They're, they're going to say, you know, hey, you can pay well, yeah. the increased premium, but it's going to be it's, it's going to be, be astronomical. You don't want to die. Yeah. Um, so what they have is they created the guaranteed universal life. Okay. Same thing. Follows all of the same projections, whereby you're putting the money in and using that example of the 33-year-old who is putting in a thousand dollars a year for a hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy. What they'll do is they will give you offers of guaranteed to age 90, guaranteed to age 100, and I've seen guaranteed all the way up to age 120, really? which basically yeah. says that if I contribute $1,000 a year and don't stop, then they're guaranteeing that if I live or die prior to age 120, whatever I choose, 120, then they will pay out the death benefit of $100,000. And so I personally like it because of the fact that if you're using it for estate planning and legacy planning, you want to know that it's gonna be there, yes. okay? And so that's where I say it's, you know, when I first talked about it, it's kind of like a mortgage. Well, a mortgage basically says, hey, you know, you wanna take a $100,000 mortgage and it's at 5%, then you're gonna to have to pay this much to the bank for 30 years. It's a defined number. Yep. Okay. It's similar in this regard because of the fact that it's a defined number. As long as you pay that number, they're gonna guarantee that you have a life insurance death benefit until whatever it is. Because in the insurance industry, I don't care what insurance it is, what do they call the insurance policy? A contract. <laughs> okay. Yes, they do. And insurance are contracts, and that's a contract between you, the insured, and the insurance company. And basically that contract says that if I pay $1,000 a year, the insurance company's end of the deal is that they're going to pay $100,000 if I die prior to the specified age, okay? And so what'll happen there is you'll see the cash value dips down to zero towards the end of the policy but boy, I'll tell you what, with, with people living longer, with the medical technology Im improving, I just think that would blow out any type of estate plan if the insurance component went away later. Yep. Okay? So then what are the types of universal life? Well, so we got Baskin-Robbins coming back again, right? <laughs> All right. So we talked about universal life, then there's variable universal life, and then there's indexed universal life.
Well, it all depends on how is the money invested. And so it used to always be universal life, okay, which means that the monies are effectively, not effectively, they are assets of the insurance company. Insurance companies need to have, by rule, enough money sitting on the sidelines so that if they have a major disaster, whether it be a COVID, the plague, the Spanish flu, uh, or whatever, they need to have enough money on hand to be able to pay all the claims, yep. okay? Which means that they're holding a whole lot of money. And what's happening is that effectively your universal life policy is invested in their investments, yep. okay? Because they have to hold a certain amount of money, the government has regulations as to what they can or cannot invest in, which means that those investments are generally more conservative. Yes. They'll be in bonds, held to maturity, and they're gonna be in more conservative investments, which might produce three, four percent rate of return over time, okay? So somewhere along the line, and this is when all of the insurance companies, you know, they're in business to do what? Not money. to pay. <laughs> the insurance companies aren't there in business to pay death benefits. No. They're there to make money, and this is an avenue that they can do it, okay? okay. So people are like, hey, you know, I, I don't want your 3%. I can invest it and do a whole lot better than you, Mr. Insurance Company. And so the insurance company said, all right, you want to do that? Fine, you do it. In fact, actually, the insurance companies were not upset by it because what it did is it took some of the risk off of them and placed it on you as the policy owner. So therefore, using that same scenario of the 33-year-old who bought that $100,000 life insurance policy, they put $1,000 in, 800 might go to the cash value, but now the cash value is being invested. It could be invested similar to a 401k, and I gotta be careful when I say that because it's not like a 401k. Yep. But like, you know, when you have a 401k at work or a 457 or a 403b, you have a list of 30 investment options. Yep. Insurance policies work the same way. The variable insurance policies will work that you have 30 or so different investment choices. So if you want to be really aggressive with your investments, you have the power to do so. To whatever is offered to you Correct. as an investment option. Correct. It's Correct. not, you know, it's not like you can invest in anything under the sun. Correct. But you know, it's just like your yeah. 401k yeah, or something. If yeah. you have 30 investment options, you get to pick between the 30 investment options. And guess what? If my $30,000 cash value that I accumulated has a horrible year like it did in 2022 or 2008, you know, we have horrible years and guess what? Your $30,000 cash value is a whole lot less than $30,000. That could be an issue. That could be a problem, <laughs> okay? However, much like how we talk to our clients, you know, clients who have accumulated wealth and are like upset by the fact that their account went from my account went from I was at 1.2 million and now I'm at 900 and they're complaining about it. Of course, it stinks to go from 1.2 to 900,000. However, as an aggressive investor, he wouldn't have been at 1.2 million 
had he invested conservatively, such as the universal life. Yep. Okay. So what this does is it gives the participant the ability to choose the investments that they want. They can go into whatever there's offered. It could be stocks, it could be bonds, real estate, gold, emerging markets, you name it. The last one is actually very recent, okay? It's indexed universal life. Now, what in the world is indexed universal life, Mike? Well, I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> so what happens with indexed universal life, uh, this is a relatively new concept that kind of started with annuities, mm -hmm. index annuities. And what they did is they said, hey, you know what? You know, if you have a pot of money, what they're going to do is they're going to say, we'll invest it in the S&P 500 and use it all kinds of different ways of doing it. They say, we guarantee that if you invested your $1,000 or 800 or 30,000, whatever, you invest it in the S&P 500, they're guaranteeing at the end of one year that you're not going to lose any money. Wow, does that sound like a good deal, huh? <laughs> it comes at a cost. That's right. That's right. There is no free lunch, they say, right? Yep. Well, what the cost is is that you may be capped at only 4%. So if the S&P 500 goes up 15%, you only go up by 4 Yep. Okay? But if that's goes, the cost. If it goes down 20 Then you're you, at zero. Yep. Okay? So I always personally felt that indexing or index type of products is a little on the gimmicky side. Yeah, it can be. You know, because everybody wants to make money and not lose money. And, you know, we also preach that the best way to capture long-term rates of return is not as much by capturing the upside, but by minimizing the downside. Uh, I still need to be convinced that index is better than going like the index type of products. It depends better. on the person you're working with, right? Everything in this in this realm, financial planning, is you either have guarantee or you have flexibility and you can never have both. Right. There you go. And so a lot of it has to do with the um, you know how the person feels about investing. So I want to show this chart that shows the different ways that these three different products work. Okay, for instance, whole life. Whole life says that at age 100, we're giving you, the insurance company is giving you that $100,000. Okay, the death benefit. You know, the death benefit has a lot of other moving parts. Do not want to get into it in this show. Okay, it has so many other moving parts, it's very confusing. But conceptually, it says if you pay this premium every year, and you're still alive at age 100, you get $100,000. Yay. Okay, that's a beautiful Here's thing. your money back. Right, here's your money back. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, you know what, guess what? You, know, you die, I don't want somebody else to have it. Hey, I want it, right? Yeah. Versus the variable universal life or the index universal life. Again, this is depicting it. The other thing I want to point out about depicting the whole life is it's not a straight line, okay? Developing the graph, I wanted to at least create different colors and stuff like that. It's not a straight line. It's probably more curved like the variable universal life or the index universal life type of policies. But what happens is that you can see that if the variable universal life is earning 
but the guaranteed universal life is earning only 3%. What's gonna happen over time is the universal life or the guaranteed universal life, which is earning only 3%, is gonna peter out, as opposed to if you were earning 6%. And again, I am just using these as examples. But you say, well, gee, Mike, uh, the whole life, what is that invested in to do better? Well, it's really invested to a great extent like the universal life. Well, if it's invested the same way as the universal life, how in the world is whole life getting to 100,000? Because that poor guy at age 33 is contributing a whole lot more <laughs> than $1,000 a year to this policy. Yep. I mean, think about it. It, 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 it. it has to in order to get there. So anyway, we're wrapping up with this episode on this topic. The next topic that we're gonna be talking about in the next episode is the uses of life insurance. When do you use it? What type do you pick? Do I pick term? Do I pick group term? Do I pick uh, private term? Do I pick the universal life? Do I pick the permanent insurance? And then even more important after that, the answer, the question that's asked of us all the time, Mike, Kyle, how much should we get? And that is an important facet associated with the design. So. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We talked about the different types of life insurance mostly spent on the permanent and how it works. In the first episode, we talked more about the term insurance. Now in the final episode that'll be coming up next is we're gonna talk about the design of the insurance policies. So thank you for tuning in. I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Financial Plan and Explain, and I'm your host. Mike Manager, Certified Financial Planner, owner and founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. Thank you again, have a wonderful day and good rest of your week.